a weekend like this. And in my story, at that point in my life, I was confused about faith, about life, about God. And I truly wasn't that concerned about it. Because I figured, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, right? It's a common phrase. It's been popularized by people. It sounds good. But I'm not so convinced of that. I actually think that that statement is rather empty. And tonight, I want to take some time to persuade you that it's not what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but it's the one who's been killed for you that makes you stronger. (laughs) Amen? We're going to turn our attention to Daniel chapter 3, the story of Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. And this story calls attention to a very significant issue for the people in this story and for us tonight. It's the issue of idolatry. She had make a wager that there's not three people in this room who've been dragged to a foreign land, asked to renounce their faith, and commanded to serve other gods. And although your story is not quite the same as their story, I would suggest that the threat is still real. That the temptation to promote other things to be on the same level as God is still just as real for us. See, a god or an idol is something that a person is concerned about the most. That thinks about it the most. And affects someone's life the most. And there's so many different idols that we can see in our lives. We can see idols in the influence that we try to amass in our high schools and in our youth groups that we use for personal gain, to amass control and to amass power for ourselves. Idols can be found in relationships and the way that people perceive us. Our reputation, they can be found in a relationship that you're holding on to really tightly. Idols can be found in our pleasures, in this pursuit of self-satisfaction that our addictions push us towards fulfilling that. And we turn to drugs or sex or alcohol or to cheap thrills to satisfy ourselves because it's about us. It can be found in your standing academically. It can be stand in your attempt to try and deliver really, really good sermons. The list of idols that we can allow into our hearts is vast, which makes the danger so very real because the seduction is subtle, which makes it easy for us to promote things to the position in our life that only God rightfully deserves. And at the base of every single idol is a character that is consumed by self. See, when I jumped on that airplane, I was at the end of the line. I came to Summit because I was convinced that I was going to strengthen my relationship with God, but it became very apparent very quickly that I was actually coming to save my faith. 
because I was so consumed with myself and I didn't even recognize it because I didn't have someone telling me that. And I surely wasn't looking for myself. When we read Daniel chapter 3 and we read about this story, we're going to be talking about character at the end of the line. We're going to be talking about what it looks like for character to be consumed. And we're going to contrast a character that is consumed by self with a character that is consumed by God. And so in order to do that properly, we actually have to turn to Daniel chapter 2 and talk about the dream that Daniel interpreted for King Nebuchadnezzar. Because it's in that chapter, it's in that dream that gives us a window into the character that is consumed by self. Daniel, he went to King Nebuchadnezzar after God downloaded that secret from heaven. And he said, oh, King Nebi. He said, this is what you dreamed. You dreamed of an enormous statue. And its head was made of gold. And its chest and its arms were made of silver. And its torso, or stomach, was made of bronze. And its feet and its legs were made of iron. And what this represents, O king, is that you, the most powerful man in all of the world at this point, your kingdom is the greatest. That's why it's gold. But it's going to be followed by another kingdom. And it's going to be followed by another kingdom after that. And then then another kingdom after that. And as he shares this dream about this statue, he says, and then there was a rock that was formed and it struck the statue. And then that rock grew into a mountain and filled the entire earth. And so I recognize there's a hole in my illustration, but I think you can see the picture. It grew, and the rock is the kingdom of God that is forever, and is overwhelming, and is enduring, and will never, ever be toppled by another kingdom. That's the dream that he sees. And what's the result? Kim shared it this morning. King Nebi, he says, surely your God is the God of all gods. He is the Lord of kings. And why does this matter? As we talk about the fiery furnace. Because in this moment, it shows us what a character that is consumed by self looks like. Because if you turn to the next chapter, only a few moments later, in Daniel chapter 3 verse 1, it reads this, that King Nebuchadnezzar then made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Some of you might know that as a really big chocolate bunny. But it truly is an image of gold. But what VeggieTales leaves out is this. That this statue doesn't look like this statue. You see the contrast. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, he was so consumed with himself that he said, yes, My kingdom is the greatest and is glorious. And it is enduring that there is no kingdom that's going to come after me. Because my kingdom is the greatest. That it's about me. 
He doesn't include the other kingdoms. He doesn't include the rock because he's consumed with himself. And so as we read in verses 2 through 6, he calls all of the rulers from around the land to come and to bow down at this golden statue and worship him. See, what happens in this moment is that this exposes Nebuchadnezzar's lip service to God. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of hosts. But yet, his character reveals that that hadn't actually penetrated his heart and consumed him because there was no room for the God of gods and the Lord of kings. There was only room for self. There was only room to be concerned about King Nebi and his kingdom and his power and his legacy. And so we notice in this moment that all hearts are consumed. And they are either consumed by self or they are consumed by God. See, it's in this moment that the music plays as he asks everybody to come and worship him and worship the image that he set up. And the music plays and that's the cue for everybody to fall down and begin to worship Nebuchadnezzar and the statue that was there. And so the music plays. And because the king gets what the king wants, is everybody doesn't question him, but they lay their allegiance down, and they fall before King Nebuchadnezzar, save three gentlemen. I think you know their names. Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego. And a quiet rebellion begins. See, as this happens, some accusers, some rulers go up to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, Hey, King, there's three Jewish men that are paying no attention to the king. We find that in verse 12. And you can highlight that or circle that because I love that. There's people who go to King Nebuchadnezzar And they say there's three people who are showing no regard, no attention to the king. But when I read this story, I actually see three individuals who are very attentive to the king. It just wasn't the king that was standing in front of them. It was the king of their hearts that they'd be consumed by. See, they were kneeling, just not to Nebuchadnezzar. Because they knew in their hearts that they were consumed by him. They were consumed by the God of gods and the Lord of kings. But let's not discount the, t- discount the temptation that would have been in that moment. Because Israel has a history. And in that history, you see the people of God often wanting to invite different idols into their life. To rival the position that God has because they would look at the nations and the people around them. And they would see them prospering and see them victorious in war. And they would see them with wealth and prosperity and doing all these different things. And so they said, I want some of that too. See, for the three standing there, standing out from everyone around them, that temptation would have been real. Because if they had just simply bowed, 
if it simply just wasn't that big of a deal for them to swear their allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar and deny their God, well, then they would have got promotion and they would have kept their reputation in taxi. If they were looking out for themselves, they would have bowed down. But there was no room for that because these three weren't consumed by themselves. They were consumed by God. When we read this story of the three standing up and determining themselves to stand for God, I think we make two assumptions. The first assumption that I think that we make is that we believe that the decision to stand was made on the plain of Dura that day. That in that moment, when the music plays and everybody falls down as if the decision was made right there, but I disagree with that. I think the decision was made much earlier than that. And I don't know where. It could have been in Jerusalem. It could have been in the synagogue. It could have been when they were reading through the Torah. It could have been in their homes as their parents taught them the ways of the faith. I don't know where they made that decision. But they made a decision at some point to be so consumed by God because of what he'd done in their life. And then the result of that decision was the result, the product, which was to stand Because there was no other option. See, this wasn't the first time that they were asked to renounce their faith. This wasn't the first time that they were asked to conform in their beliefs. That happened already at the table. This wasn't even the first time that their lives had been threatened. That had already happened at the edge when Nebuchadnezzar asked for the interpretation But because they made a decision to be consumed by God, and then that was reinforced when God sustained them through their diet, and then that was reinforced again when God did the impossible right in front of them, so that when they came to stand, it wasn't this decision in the moment, am I going to stand or am I going to fall? Am I going to stand or am I going to kneel? Am I going to compromise or choose character? It simply was an outflow of their character. It was the product of their life and of their belief because they already made a commitment to be consumed by God. The second, the second assumption that I think that we make when we read this story is that the miracle is saved for the furnace. Because you know the end of the story. They didn't. They were living it. And we think that the miracle is just when God comes into that furnace and pulls them out. But the miracle was that moment that they decided to be consumed by God. It's called salvation. The miracle was when God preserved them through captivity. The miracle was when he sustained them on veggies. The miracle was when nobody else could interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream that they praised and they sought after him and God revealed himself. That is a miracle. And then the miracle is that they have been consumed by God and now can act out of that place. That's where we see the miracle. And how can we recognize when somebody has a consumed heart by God? I think we see it in the way that they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar after he furiously engages them again to figure out why they aren't bowing. 
we turn to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, circle that, underline that, is able to save us, circle that, underline that, and he will rescue us, circle that, underline that, as I say, circle that, underline that. <laughs> and then, but even if he does not, definitely circle and underline that. We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See, their speech indicates what is truly in their hearts. Because in this moment, when they are at the end of the line, they speak from their position of character. And that character reveals a few things. It reveals this. It reveals that they believe that their God is able to deliver because they believe in his power and that there's nothing too hard for him. They believe that he will rescue them because they trust and believe in his love and that he acts on behalf of those he loves. That he is the God they serve because they had made a determination to live that life. And then greatest of all, but if not, even if he does not save us from the furnace, we will serve him. That's how you can tell that their hearts are consumed because they're not worried about the result. They're simply worried about the response. That is what we're looking for because they believe in his sovereignty that no matter what it looked like around them, that they knew that God was in control. And so, although a very difficult decision to stand when everybody else was kneeling, it was made easier because this was simply their character. Because they made a decision to be consumed by God. And because they made that decision, there is no other option for them. There is no other option. The only response that they have is one of character that displays that they were consumed by him. How can we do that? How, how can we stand? Not so that we'd have a story to tell. But how can we stand? How can we let the product of our lives flow from the decision we made to serve Jesus? I think what we need to do is we need to make a habit of kneeling before our king. See, again, I just want you guys really to picture it. This massive plane with many, many, many people. And three people standing out. They were accused of not kneeling not paying attention to the king, but truly, they were doing that very thing. And I think that that picture is also found in Luke chapter 7, where we see this story of Jesus, this story that illustrates the difference, the contrast between a character that is full of self versus a character that is full of and consumed by God. Jesus! 
came into your house, you did not offer me water for my feet. This woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You did not kiss me. This woman, since I entered the home, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has put perfume on my feet. I love this picture from Luke chapter 7. Verse 36 and a few after that. Because Jesus sees two very different hearts. He sees a heart that is consumed by him and a heart that is consumed by self. See, the Pharisee invited Jesus over to his house. And what it revealed about his character is that he was concerned about his reputation. That if I can get Jesus, the great teacher, the great prophet to come to my house, what will people see about me? Versus the woman who everybody had discarded. And she came and she pursued Jesus because she was looking for a transformation in her heart. She was someone who was consumed by God. And Jesus looks at the Pharisee and he says, if only you knew who I was. If only you knew who I was, I would be doing, you would be doing the same thing that this woman is doing. But you are so consumed by yourself that you are looking to build your reputation instead of looking at what I can do because I'm sitting right in front of you. You need to know who I am. Students, I don't want you to try to pursue character because if you try and add generosity and honesty and all these other good attributes, you're doing it for yourself. What I want you to do is I want you to pursue Jesus and get to know him. And as you draw close to him, he's going to change you and he's going to consume your heart. And then the product of your life is character. See, we shouldn't be chasing that. We talk about character in church all the time. But what you need to be doing is focusing your eyes on him and chasing him. And when you know him, and you know his love, and the way he's called you to live, and you experience his grace, and you see his faithfulness, and his preservation, and his love, and his power, you can't help but be consumed. And it changes the way that you live your life. I'm convinced that those three knew who Jesus was. That they knew who their God was. There's no doubt about it because they were at the end of the line. The option was very clear from Nebuchadnezzar, bow or die. So they step up to the plate and they say, I'll take the furnace, please. Because they were so consumed by him that there was never an alternative option. Can I ask you, what are you consumed by? I was so consumed with myself and I didn't even know it. Students, there's more for you. But you have to look. Summit students, there's more for you. Take your eyes off yourself and pursue Jesus. The product will come. Don't try and short circuit it. Leaders, there's more for you too. Because if you think you're done, you've taken your eyes off him too. There's more for us so that we can actually determine ourselves to stand. 
And then we get to the fiery furnace. The three, they were at the end of the line. They knew their time was short as they knew what their future held. But they were consumed. And so they still walked towards that future. Character does not deal with the results. It cares about the response. The three were at the end of the line because there was nothing more that they could do. They had done everything to honor God. And so at the end of the line, their time was up. The rest was in God's hands. And will you allow yourself to come to that point where you can't do what is in front of you, but you need God's hands to carry you through? See, there's another group of people that I think were at the end of the line with a furnace as their future. I never met them personally. I've never heard their voices. I've never touched their hands. But I've encountered their strength. And I've encountered their story. And I've encountered their graveside. See, one of the most privileged opportunities that I've ever had is to walk the grounds at Auschwitz. One of the concentration camps in Poland with our Omega students a few years ago. And as I walked around that campground, my heart was screaming. But my mouth was silent as I tried to understand what was going on around me. And I would walk through the barracks where they lived. And I would see the conditions that they were put in. And my heart would break. And then I would see people who are so consumed with themselves and so unaware of the larger story at play. And I think that could preach itself. I'm so frustrated with Tina and George who were there in 2013 because they carved their name into the barracks of people who laid down their life, who were persecuted and stepped upon. Or when we walked through torture chambers and gas chambers. Or the moment when we're walking through a building and all you see is a mountain of shoes. And the amount of shoes represents how many people died on those grounds every single day. And then you see the pink little shoes. And your heart is disturbed. But nothing moved me more than this. See, there's only one train track in and one train track out of Auschwitz. That when you went to Auschwitz, that equaled death. So as the trains would come in and they would settle up to the train stop and people would get out, they would walk out with no hope. And they would walk out with no joy and no purpose and no future because they were at the end of the line. And there's survivors that are such an incredible inspiration. There's one by the name of Viktor Frankl. And he, and he makes this quote. He says, he who has a why can deal with almost any how. And it talks about saying yes to life and finding meaning even in the hardest times. It actually was formulated in the same camp as the statement, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. It sounds 
really good. But did you know that the person who wrote the term, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, is the same philosopher who coined the term, God is dead. Because he believed that in the absence of God in our world, that we need to promote ourselves. That it's built upon people who are consumed by themselves. And so when people say, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, you're betting on yourself. I don't know about you, but I know myself really well. I'm not betting on me anytime. Not any day, not any place. But you know who I'll bank myself on? You know who I'll put my wager on? The God of God and the Lord of kings. That's who I'm going to bank on. So when Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves at the end of the line and King Nebuchadnezzar taunts them and says, what God is going to deliver you out of my hands? You know what they said? Maybe not verbally. We don't know. But surely in their hearts as they continue their quiet rebellion. You know who will deliver us? The God of Radshak, the God of Meshach, and the God of Abednego who's the same God as the God of Jace and the God of Gavin and Kim and Brielle and the same God as Phil and Christian and Justin and Chloe and every single other person in this room. That's the God that we bet on. That's where we put our trust. See, when the three were pushed into that furnace, what made them strong in that moment is the experience that they'd have with God many times before. That they were so consumed by him that they didn't care about the result because they knew that wasn't for them to handle. They simply had to handle their response because they made a decision to be consumed by him and they trusted that their God would take care of the rest. The second thing is the promise that they had. The promise that is for you and for me that his name is Emmanuel God with us. Because if you know the story, God comes into the furnace and walks with them out of it. See, I'm not convinced that God meant or planned to save us from the fire. But he meant to save us in the fire. Because he's consumed us. And he's going to prove himself over and over and over and over again to us. That he is somebody that we can determine ourselves to live for, that we can determine ourselves to stand for. And then every decision made after that, it actually eliminates our need for input because we already made the decision. And then character is the product over and over and over and over and over. That's how we get to where we want to be. This gives us reason to be consumed by God. This gives us reason to choose character, to allow God in, to take our eyes off ourselves, and to allow Him to fill us. I want to invite you to stand with me across this room. Do you remember when King Nebuchadnezzar said, Surely your God is the God of gods? and the Lord of Kings, but it was just simply lip service, it's really easy to say with your mouth that he is king, but to live as him, as your king, is a totally different story. It's really tough. But if the miracle is real, 
if you truly open your heart and allow him to consume you, to push out everything that is focused on yourself and replace it with who he is, if you truly get to know my God, if you get to know Jesus Christ, if you get to know him, then you want more of him and more of him. If that miracle is real, it will be evident in the product of your life. Are you wondering why God's not moving? Why you feel alone or abandoned? We have so many different questions. All I want you to do is focus on your response. Don't worry about the result. Don't worry about why people in your grade aren't coming to know him. Don't worry about all the uncertainties. Pursue Jesus and character will be the result that you get to walk in. If the miracle is real, you will see it in your character. You will see it in the product of your life. And so there's some of us in the room that need more. That you need to push that self out, that focus on yourself, looking out for your agenda and your wants and your future and your plans. You need to push that out and replace it with more of him. I was on that plane coming here, so incredibly consumed by myself and not even know it. So if you think that this isn't for you, you are politely wrong because there is more for us all. There's more for us all. So this is what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to make some more room for him. In your heart, be someone who is not consumed by self, but someone who is consumed by God. Make room for him tonight. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. If you want character to be the result of your life, the only way to get there is to pursue him. And you don't need the people around you. You need to dive into that. But it is made easier with the people around. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think they profited from having people around them. Ferda, for the boys. That's why they stand it. Because they have people with them. And so although tonight is about you, it is about your need for Jesus and your pursuit, collectively, if this room looks for more of him, we're going to see it. And it's going to be evidence in your character because this is one of those moments where you get to decide to be determined for him. Your youth pastors, your friends, they're the ones that get to see the result. I never will. Unless you come here, unless I come to you, or not a lot of different other options, I guess, technically. But you know what I mean. So the band's going to play. And I just want to give you guys space and time to pursue Jesus and to practice kneeling before your king so that you can be consumed by him. Then I'll be back with some specific instructions.
presence. I want you guys to think of every moment that you've experienced him every moment. He's proved himself faithful. Every time you've seen, you've seen him work in your life. And I want you to determine yourselves to stand. Make that decision tonight. And I'm sure that there's some of us in the room who feel like they're in the furnace. That you feel the heat of everything around you. I want you to cling to the promise that the Word of God gives us. That He is with us. That you're not alone. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself stronger. Except to pursue Him and allow Him to fill you. If we want to be able to stand and have the character that those three had, it's going to take more time than it takes to make a Kanye West meet. It's going to take more time than the drive-through after youth. This takes time. We need to sit in it. And we need to pursue Him. And we need to keep asking that He would either reveal what is in our heart that needs to be taken out or that he would show us what he wants to put in so there's still work to be done tonight it's not a drive-by it's not a feel-good message if you want to see character follow your life you need many moments like this kneeling in front of your king so we're going to continue in that we're going to continue in that that's how we get to a place that's consumed.